Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 217. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Last time Father James Altman was on the show was back in September of 2020. Well, guess what? He's back! When I went to receive my third degree in the Knights of Columbus, nobody had told me that we'd be quizzed on proficiency in our knowledge of the faith. I thought I might be embarrassed because, well, you know, they were knights after all. I was embarrassed, all right, embarrassed for the other 50-plus men there. With the exception of two other men, they couldn't answer the most simple catechism questions. Things like, how many sacraments are there and what are the mysteries of the rosary? During the social activities after the degree work, I listened to what the men were saying about what they'd just been through. 
to my amazement, they actually thought that they'd been asked very advanced catechism questions. That night's Columbus third degree was not an isolated situation. Sadly, at least 95% of American Catholics are wholly or almost wholly ignorant of the Catholic faith. But I'm offering you a remedy for your parishioners. Introducing the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Endorsed by Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, each of these inserts teaches a thumbnail catechism lesson. When your parishioners begin to get involved, they'll get many more benefits at a cost of only $19.95 a month to your parish. But you won't start out paying that because I want to give it to you for three months for free just to try it out. Take 11 minutes to watch a video by clicking the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts to learn more. This is a good idea for priests who want to help their parishioners become fully catechized, and a lot of lay people get a subscription for their parish as a way to support the parish without giving the bishop any of their money. To learn more, click on the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Inserts. It just requires 11 minutes of your time. Here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, we have an organization of fired-up Catholics called Credo. One of the things they do every few months is to have great Catholic speakers come in to speak to Catholics in St. Louis. On March 4th, Credo will host Father James Altman to speak in the Crystal Ballroom at the Clayton Plaza Hotel. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a member of the Credo board reached out to me and asked if I'd interview Father Altman before he comes here. Since Bishop Callahan canceled the most outspoken and famous priest in the country, I no longer knew how to reach him. Well, Credo got me in touch, and Father was anxious to come back on the show. Spoiler alert, he'll also be back for the second annual Toxic Mail Month. Anyway, this was a fiery interview and a lot longer than I intended. So I had a choice. I could either split it into three episodes, but you six-pack warriors have made it clear that you don't like it when I do that, or I could just run it all in one episode. That said, this entire episode is just Father Altman and me, and we had a great time. I'm sorry, but there won't be any of the Sacred Heart wins with Bishop Strickland or a Catholic boot camp this week. However, they will return next week. So without any further ado, here's Father Altman. Six-Pack Warriors, we're pleased to have Father James Altman back with us again. It's been a while, Father. How have you been? I, I've been, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I am not getting enough sleep. <laughs> and rest, but you know, uh, you work in the vineyard. You know, whenever I um, think, oh gosh, well, life's a little rough, I try to remember those uh, who are incredibly less fortunate. Uh, I mean, I have running water. Not everybody has it in the world today. There's food on the table and there's a roof over my head and it's warm enough, even though we're getting a snowstorm. I told you, I told you about earlier. So really, what I do I have to complain about? Our Lord gives us enough time and enough energy. It's that quote that's on every one of my emails that goes out since since about the late 90s, 1990s, says, cast yourselves in the arms of God and rest assured if he wants anything of you, he'll fit you for the task. 
and give you the strength. That's that quote from St. Philip Neri. So I'm not complaining, but sometimes I do seem a little more tired than <laughs> I prefer to be. <laughs> I understand that. You've got quite a schedule. Listen, I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to because I know you're busy. Uh, so can we just dive right in? Yeah, please. Go go right to town here. Yeah, as you know, I live in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Yes. Some people from Credo, uh, who's sponsoring your talk here on March 4th, contacted me last week and asked me if I'd interview you for the show before you come here. Sure. Naturally, I said I'd be delighted to do that. So yes. here you are. <laughs> yes. The people of Credo, they are so awesome. Dr. Helen, all of them, I, you know, I had the privilege of being down there once before. And, uh, oh, they were so welcoming. And it was good, it was good to be among friends. Always good to be among friends. And Credo, just profound group of people who are faithful to the yes. faith and faithful to the positive faith and faithful to the church as almighty God through Jesus created it. I, I'm just privileged to be there. Yes. For years, I have uh, uh, tried to convince Dr. Helen that she needs to spread credo to have chapters in every diocese. Yeah. You know, uh, anyway, the first question I think all the six-pack warriors want to know is, what is your current status? Are you a man without a country, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, pretty much what I'd say is nothing has changed since day one. And um, the case, the appeal, is still going on appeal. Now, here's what I'd tell you, uh, so that people understand just how nefarious are the bad guys in the church. They control the church now like they controlled it in Jesus's day when 96% of the Sanhedrin were evil. There is, I used to think it was just two, but Joseph of Arimathea apparently was one of the Sanhedrin too. So you have Nicodemus who snuck around in the middle of the night. You have Joseph of Arimathea who risked it all so that he could offer his grave to Jesus. And then you have Gamaliel who after the resurrection, uh, after the ascension, uh, when the Sanhedrin arrested uh, James and John, or Peter and John again in the temple for the second time, uh, Gamaliel told these guys, A, be careful what you're doing here, because if they're not from God, they'll just fade away. But if they are from God, you're going to find yourself fighting God, right? So 96% of the Sanhedrin who saw Jesus work those miracles right before the very eyes, including they knew that he raised Lazarus from the dead, they still crucified him. And by the way, they said, let his blood be on us and on our heads and on our children. And then, of course, we know in the year 70, uh, anywhere from 600,000 to a million in Jerusalem were slaughtered, man, woman, and child. They got their wish. Don't mess with the son of God. Don't mess with his church or you're going to find yourself. Yeah, it's going to be ugly. So anyway, <laughs> uh, same percentage pretty much controls the church today. And and I don't know well, you know what is it? I've heard as high as eight billion dollars in payouts in the United States. I don't know what figure is finally gonna wake up Americans to the fact that you cannot trust the bishops. Look at that guy that was just murdered out there in California, right? Right. Yeah, he was when he was at CU, he was doing crazy things with uh some of the the boys, right? <laughs> Sleepovers, uh as reported on Church Militant. Uh, sleepovers with the boys, right? That's, and then he was censured because he was supporting women's ordination and and same-sex marriages, right? 
And he's still doing it. He was still doing it to this day. And there's something really funny about the circumstances. They're trying to paint this narrative, right? There's a story that they're trying to produce out there, a cover story. But the fact of the matter, there is something very odd from day one, from the very moment this story broke, that there's been inconsistencies and changes in their story, that they're trying to cover up something, just like they tried to cover it up at mainstream media with Paul Pelosi, right? Oh, right. the passenger seat airbag goes off, which means there was a passenger, but we don't know who it is. All of a sudden, this guy shows up and he's in his underwear in Paul Pelosi's house. That doesn't happen by accident, my friends. They covered it up. Well, look what's going on with this guy there. And here's the thing. Every single bishop in this country knows full well that that guy still, by the way, he still had his faculties. They didn't take away his faculties. He's promoting heresy. He's an apostate. And he's running around doing all his promotion of evil and things contrary to the positive faith. No, no uh, sanctions on that guy. Now all right. of a sudden he ends up murdered under very suspicious circumstances. So you very. know, where you know, it, what's that? It doesn't pass the smell test. Is that is that the <laughs> yeah right? You know, uh, there's just something going on there. So where I am after you know. What is it now? It's been July 2021. It's going to be about two years. It's coming July if we if we make it that far, um, where they're still harassing me. And here's what they did. They sent a secret file over to Rome to, a, to impugn me, to accuse me of being divisive and ineffective. And you know, I just learned recently, I, I said, how can you be divisive and ineffective when, you're, when your attendance practically doubles and, and so did collections in your parish? Oh, I found out. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's not divisive and ineffective in my own parish. Is that other priests were complaining because people were leaving their parish to come to mine. (laughs) Well, hey, buddy, then why don't you just step up your game? I didn't say so that my church would grow. I said it to feed my family the truth, because that's what a father does. Amen. like, Like Jesus said, what kind of father would give his son a snake? I'm feeding my family the truth that leads them to eternal life, not Jorge Bergoglio's false lies that lead people to eternal damnation. That guy, that guy is evil, period. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, where I am is I'm still in the midst. I I never from day one expected a positive result coming out of Rome. Oh, no, no, no. That's not going to happen. They sent over the secret file into this. They don't realize. uh and I'm not going to say what it is right now, but the evidence that I have, they don't realize that I can prove that they had a secret file, that they refused to let me look at the secret file. To this day, I'm not allowed to see what's in that secret file, which is over in Rome. How can I defend myself? Listen, every single American, I don't care what side of the political spectrum you are on, every single American has a right to defense, self-defense. The prosecutors must show you their evidence, period. If you don't, then your case gets thrown out of court. So remember Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Yeah. Let's say the, the, the spectrum you're on with regard to him. Never mind that America says you can defend yourself, right? And they, they one guy comes pointing a gun at him, and he gets shot. He even admitted it on the stage. Oh, but it doesn't matter, the left wing, they don't care. Right? But anyway, the prosecutor did not disclose to Kyle Rittenhouse the alterations they had made to the video when they presented it to the jury, right? Remember this? <laughs> yeah. Had he not been acquitted, that case and, and, and that conviction would have been thrown right out the door by the judge 
because of prosecutorial misconduct. People of America, Catholics around the world, understand this. There's prosecutorial misconduct by the bishops, and they all know it, and they're all a party to it, right up through into Rome. I have not been entitled to offer an opportunity to defend myself. They won't even let me look at the file. They right. send a secret file over to Rome, and they won't let me look at it. How in the world am I supposed to defend myself? So you ask, where's my case? I'm shocked it's <laughs> taken this long because I don't know what they put in that file. But I do know this. When I went into the office, into the, the, the big conference room at the diocese, over there on the counter sat two massive boxes flowing over of letters and cards in favor of me. Next to it were two LifeSite petitions. I think one was about 75,000 signatures. One was about 90,000. Those were still sitting there. My personnel file wasn't even there. But what was sitting on the table was a thin manila folder that the bishop and his secretary and two other guys put stuff in there and didn't let me see what was in there. So how am I even supposed to defend myself? <laughs> it's a hoax. It is a joke. These bishops should be thrown out on their keister. Cause, and they all have each other's backs. Do you know, remember, um, as, as one final example to answer your question, uh, remember when Cordelion finally stood up and said after 10 years. Yeah, it took him 10 years. 10 years he took. Nancy Pelosi, you don't get to receive Holy Communion. Only 17 other bishops stood up and backed Cordelion. That the loser out in uh, D.C., Wilton Gregory, specifically said, oh, no, he can, she can receive it. And, and I think a week later she did. Jorge Bergoglio let her very publicly receive Holy Communion in Rome shortly thereafter, right? That shows you yep. what he is in the standing. He undermined, he undermined Cordelion. That meant there were about, there's about 290 active bishops in the United States. That meant that 272 did not back Cordelion and right. backed Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, right? So that's about 95, 96%. Just like it, see, nothing changes. It is the same percentage now as it was in the day that they crucified Jesus. Amen. So why do we expect our guys who have not seen Jesus work miracles before their eyes to be a better percentage than they were in Jesus's day. It makes no sense. Well, anyway, they all know exactly the corrupt uh, system that they have to cancel priests. There's almost 2000 of them I hear in the United States, the diocese of, of Rockford, Illinois, that loser Malloy down there, he's got at least a dozen or more. Right. And nobody ever challenges it. Why? Because why they can't, they, who's got the financial backing? I, I think I'm closing in on 70 grand now that it's cost me in a year and a half, roughly, to defend myself in Rome against these vipers. Who, priests don't have that kind of backing. That, that It is no wonder they cancel and that nobody calls out the other guys. They all have each other's backs. You know what I said? I said this recently, and I'll leave it with this. <laughs> I said, they've got each other's backs, right? Then I said, wait a minute, in their case, they've got each other's backsides. If you can, you know, just if you can follow what I'm saying, they're a bunch of pansies in purple. The majority of them, I heard as much as 88% are sorority sisters. So, you know what? <laughs> yeah, they got each other's backsides and nobody will, nobody will, call. oh, but they'll cancel priests. Listen, 
They don't ordain priests. Almighty God ordains priests. Almighty God puts an indelible mark on the priest's soul. They are merely the stewards of those priests. And they screw exactly. with, they screw with their stewardship. They screw with these priests who are trying to be ministers of grace to God's people. Well, they are. Well, that's why every single visionary, you know, for 2000 years said that hell is paid with the skulls of bishops and, and for good reason. Yes, absolutely. I've been calling them. Uh, I've been calling the USCCB a criminal empire for several yes. years now. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because it is not all of our bishops, but the vast, very vast majority of them, as you pointed out, are evil. They They're are. just plain evil. Exactly right. So, you know, your your situation, you know that I know for a fact that Bishop Strickland would love to have you and Tyler. Have you thought about that? And by the way, he's got a segment on this show every week. Nice. I think I heard, I don't know how he finds time, honestly. I he he's on he's on that. I think he's he's a regular of guest on uh I think Grace Force or something down there. I, yeah. Uh, there's a, he's on that show out in uh California. Uh oh, it's called uh, Terry Barber's show. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Right. Yeah. He's it. also on LifeSite News yeah. every week. I, uh, how does he find time? I don't know. I don't know. The way I do his is uh we get together once a month and I record the whole month's segments. Oh, there you so. go. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> that that's one way to help him out. But have you ever thought about going to Tyler? Yeah. Here's the thing. First of all, if I did something like that, if he would even let me, every he bishop, would. Every bishop in this country would hate him. They do now. They do now. I know exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's actually very funny what you just said. <laughs> yeah. He he doesn't care either. Yeah. No. He's he's about he's number one. Honestly, number one. In the don't care, I'm going to say the truth department. Uh, and so the the thing is, here I am in Wisconsin. I'm close to my home in Michigan, where I'm from. I mean, that's kind of where I'm from. And my parents are now 90. My dad's going to be 93 on April 12th. So uh, I take care of them and they take care of me. And, <laughs> and I'm not going anywhere Uh uh until such time as God calls them out of their home. And, and if God wants me somewhere, he's certainly going to let me know uh, unequivocally. Uh, I am, I'm nothing but grateful for the great uh, Bishop Strickland, who has been kind to me in words um, from day one. And uh, the other bishops, uh, God only knows, and he does, by the way, <laughs> what these other bishops are doing conniving against Strickland. Uh be uh, because they know full well he speaks the truth and people listen to him. Uh, and I, I hope one day the faithful Catholics, the remnant, wake up and they will be a powerful enough voice to take down these v- monsters and miters, as as they've been called, uh, to to these vipers, these pansies and purple, to just take them down. Huh. I think that's coming. I think the pendulum is swinging back. But until they yes. die, or God. You know, uh, boy, don't mess with them. One day, the day's coming, and it's it's soon when when God's righteous hand is going to clean up His church just like Jesus did. Uh, but remember, you know, I like to say that. But here's what people need to remember: Jesus cleaned out the temple, didn't He? 
but yes. he, he didn't clean out Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, which still executed him. So I've often said, oh, come, Lord Jesus, and clean out your temple. But that does not mean that there won't be still crucified, those who are crucified afterward. Right. Uh, the As it was, as it always will be, if they crucify Jesus, they'll crucify us. But Jesus promised us that. We can't be surprised or discouraged that the world hates us. Like he said, if they hate him, they'll hate us. And so when I when I'm being hated on by today's Sanhedrin, when I'm being hated on by Caiaphas in today's clerics, um, yeah, okay, so be it. Um, yeah, like Bishop Callahan said, and and I I, I hope he <laughs> he might regret this now. Remember, he said right from the beginning in the very first press release, he said, "I speak the undeniable truth." He just doesn't like <laughs> the manner and tone. Well talked. Uh, people who are the most faithful Catholics appreciate the manner and tone because they are so sick and tired of you pansies. Yep. You're right. You're absolutely right. The uh, And speaking of Callahan, you didn't bring this up, but I still don't understand why Monsignor Brill, uh, yeah. also known as Monsignor Grinder, yeah. uh, was given a new parish assignment and you were banished out into the hinterlands. Yeah. Can you tell the six pack warriors, uh, can they, you know, can we hear it directly from you about that? Yeah. Um, here's the thing. So I've known him since I was first a seminary, nothing special about him. Right? Uh, nothing special. But all of a sudden he gets, now he went to the North American College, which was the breeding ground for the vast, vast majority of bishops and which my bishop and 29 other bishops, including Cardinal Dolan, were sued for covering up seminary and sexual abuse over there. And um, it was a breeding ground for the bishops. I heard earlier on in seminary, well, if you wanted to be a bishop, you had to go to Rome. And I thought I used to get mad because I used to think, well, what are they teaching them over there that they're not teaching us? What books are they using that we're not? Because I want to be the best priest I can be. So why aren't we being uh, educated properly over here? Well, it had nothing to do with theology, this business in Rome. There was raging homosexuality there then, uh, and I think still continues. So uh, he was over there. That's where he went to school. Then he came back to the diocese, and next thing you know, he gets named to be a spiritual director over there. And um, some of the other spiritual directors over there had history of homosexuality. And uh, I've heard some uh, stories. I won't go into them here right now, but uh, all of a sudden he gets named to be a spiritual director over there. I'm thinking, now, why is that? Because we're short of priests in the diocese. And we can't afford to to lose one for a three-year commitment or however long it was. But off he goes. Callahan, who was on the board of directors over there, and consequently one of the 30 bishops, sued for covering up seminary and sexual abuse, said, yeah, go ahead. So he took our, our priest away and stuck him over there. Then he comes back, right? And he's named pastor of the single largest parish in the diocese, which we have, I think, right now, 158. We used to have about 163, but a couple combined. And I thought to myself, I couldn't care less. I'm happy where I am. 
but he has no special qualifications to be the pastor at the largest parish. I mean, here I am with an MBA in finance and accounting. I've been an accountant. I worked as a banker. I ran my own firm as a lawyer. I have skill set that lends itself to administration. So why in the world would he be named to the largest parish? Well, then lo and behold, not long thereafter, then he gets named to be general secretary for the USCCB, the most powerful priest in the US. Why? Because they knew about him and he knew about them. And they all knew that nobody was going to tell on each other. They would got each other's backs. Fact. (laughs) That is fact. They know who they are because they bred them over in Rome. At the knack. Yeah, at the knack. So, so now, now all of a sudden, so then he, then he gets outed by the pillar in uh, Archbishop Chaput, uh, which I think sent a warning shot over the bow of all the other bishops saying, Hey, you better, be, yes. we've got, we're eye on you. And, uh, he goes away to, I heard as much as $40,000 a month. It costs to send a priest to one of these, fix them up. Wow. Houses. And I think he was there for about a half a year. So that's pretty near a quarter million dollars of parishioner money. And the next thing you know, he comes back and now he's a pastor again. <laughs> thinking, are you kidding me? Um, so, and Bishop in his letter said, well, he didn't commit any crimes, right? So, okay, I guess, I guess he didn't commit a crime in the civil law or in the criminal law of the United States, but you know, what the heck? Uh, but that, and so there are people at that parish now I've heard that say, oh, we think it's all a rumor that he didn't really do all this sort of stuff. And they're defending because he's a nice guy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Except that nice in the temporal sense, because nice guys do not lead the lambs astray. Amen. That that is not a nice guy. These bishops who are nice guys, I put that in quotes. They're not nice. Nice does not mean you let people not understand the truth of the faith as Jesus taught it. Not nice does not mean change the deposit of faith. Which is what they're doing with the synod on synodality, which is trying to right. validate all the crazy stuff of these modernists. That's not nice. Jorge Bergoglio is not nice as he prances around in that white cassock that he prances around in, uh, pretending he's all Mr. Mercy. And that is he Mr. Mercy until that bishop down in Puerto Rico says, you, you are not morally obligated to take the jab. Next thing you know, he's out of a job. They yank him faster than you can blink your eyes, right? But all these other vipers, all these other vermin in, in red hats, they're still at it in spreading mess. As he, Bergoglio told us at the start, I'm going to create a mess. They're spreading their mess. They're spreading heresy. They're spreading their apostasy. They're spreading one world government and one world religion. They are spreading anti-Catholicism from the top down. They're not nice. Not as God calls nice. Nice as you. I agree. That's not love. Love isn't love like that stupid uh, circular argument goes out there today in the media. Love isn't love. Love is you lay down your life for another, as Jesus showed us. That's love. Right. Love is telling somebody the truth. Love is when you're standing in the roadway, somebody screams at you and says, get out before you get hit by a car. Love is saying, get out of the roadway of sin so that you don't get bowled over and sent to hell. That's love. But these, what Bergoglio and his boys are doing isn't love. They don't love you. 
they loved you, they would care about your eternal soul. I always point to people that uh, point out to people that true love is the 14 corporal works of mercy and corporal uh, spiritual works of yeah. mercy. And two of the spiritual works are instruct the ignorant and admonish the sinner. Exactly. That is love. That's that right. is love. That is exactly right. Father, since the folks here in St. Louis asked for this interview, <laughs> uh, let's, let's move to a St. Louis question. When you come to St. Louis next month, um, what's your talk going to be about? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter what I think it's going to be about right now. What matters is about four hours before the event, uh, how the spirit moves me to adjust it accordingly. Um, I think what I'm going to be talking a lot about is there is a movement in the Catholic church, uh, run, uh, led by this group. I think they're in Pennsylvania that are trying to destroy the Catholic church, the whole foundation of what the Catholic church is, which is parish family. The priest is the father of his parish family. He loves them like a father loves his children. And they love him back. Like all children, they don't always listen to him. They don't like to listen to him. He has to give them tough love. But he's a father to them. From before birth, I used to bless the babies when they when they were in their mother's womb as they came up for Holy Communion. To baptism, First Communion, First Confession, marriage, uh, sacrament of anointing, burial. You are with your family from birth to death. From before birth. To death and then after death, because you're counseling or, or uh, consoling those who are left behind. That's what a father does with his children. So what this group is trying to do, and they've, they're done, I think they're doing it. Not, I don't know why. I don't know what's hiding, what, what madness has taken over his brain, because he's trying to pull this stunt down in the Diocese of Madison. But Rosansky down there in St. Louis is trying to pull the same stunt. So they pay a fortune. I've heard as much as one to two million dollars for the bigger dioceses to this group in Philadelphia or, or somewhere in Pennsylvania. And what they do is they close a ton of churches in Chicago. I think they're closing over half. And then they group uh, the remaining churches into like a group. And then they take all the priests from that group and they stick them in one house to live like um, almost like you're in an order. I mean, that's what you do if you want to be in an order. If you want to be a Dominican or a Jesuit or a Franciscan or whatever, you join their order and you live together as brothers. That is not the parish priest. That is not the charism of the parish priest. True. It is not the charism that a parish family has toward their parish priest. You never take the parish priest out of the parish and stick him off somewhere else. That, that those people have no, but she said, that's what they are. The bunch of pansies. They, they have no clue what it means to be a father, a male figure, a father to their parish family. And here's what happens when you do this. Um, when you start, and they started all this nonsense by moving the priests all around constantly, negating the opportunity to become a real father to your family. Like the, I've heard the uh, vicar for clergy that used to be in my diocese once said, well, after I've been in a parish for three to four years, I've given them all I got and it's time for me to move on. And I'm thinking, you have no clue what it means to be a father or a husband, right? 
Because you don't say to your wife, well, after three, four years, well, I've given you all I got. It's time for me to, you know, turn you in and get another bottle. <laughs> no, your job is to be there from beginning to end. And here's what happens when you move these priests around or take them out of the parish. You destroy donations. That ought to get every the bishop's ear. Uh, because, listen, if I never asked for money, unless I was absolutely, there was some pressing issue. I mean, I just never asked for money. So those few times after I'd been there for years, when I said to the people, gosh, we need to get this fixed. Uh, they responded saying, you know, Father doesn't ask for money. If he's asking for it, he loves us. We know he loves us. He's proven he loves us. If he's asking for it, he must really need it. And they responded accordingly. When I said, let's put in an altar rail, within less than 12 hours from the 4.30 Mass, well, I think it'd be like 16 hours, from the 4.30 Mass to the 7.30 Mass the next day, I had three different people come up and say, I don't care what it costs. What isn't covered by all the donations, I will cover the rest. Three different people. <laughs> in, in, in what? That's 15 hours, I guess. So, uh, so it destroys donations because if you don't trust that priest, if you don't know he loves you, he's, you're just not going to be ready to oh, open up the checkbook just because he asked for money. You better know he loves you when you, he trusts you or you trust Amen. him. So it destroys donations. It also destroys vocations because what happens when a priest is in the same spot for, say, 20 years? The kids, the boys growing up, because there's this natural fear of aloneness, natural fear of lacking the marital intimacy, this natural uh, disinclination to to pick up the cross of priesthood and go forward. But when you, as a kid growing up, see this priest who is your father spiritually, see after 20 years, that guy's happy. It can't be that bad. It must be pretty good because father is happy. Well, then, then that inspires those who are just questioning, who are discerning, gee, is God calling me? I don't really want to do that, but because I think I'm going to be unhappy. And when you see priests constantly transferred all around, they are, in fact, unhappy because you've destroyed their paternity, their fatherhood to their parish family. So you want to know why there's a shortage of priests? Because these damned bishops for the last 50 years have been transferring priests around willy-nilly. That's why they're unhappy priests. And these damn bishops did it on purpose. So Amen. I agree with that. That's why there's a shortage of vocations. These bishops have screwed with the priests and they screwed with the parish family. So it destroys donations and it destroys vocations. The last thing it destroys is faith. And this is why. Because as a father, sooner or later, you got to give your child tough love. Amen. And they don't like to take it. But if they know you love them, <laughs> They will at least say, my dad loves me. And and I can even disagree with them. I know he loves me. I know he's got years of wisdom on me. I'll at least take it with a grain of salt. And I might still disobey what he says. But then I, when I suffer the consequences, which you will, uh, then they'll say, Father, see, Father did love me. He tried to warn me. And I can go back to him and ask for forgiveness like the prodigal son. That's what being in a parish for a long time does. I can't tell you the number of people who have walked in that confessional who have known me and know that I love them. Old people break down right before my eyes, crying and start saying, Father, I've never told anybody this. Because in the confessional, there is a seal. 
and they know if they can trust you that you won't break the seal, but that you will love them and bring Christ's healing to them. Christ's love in healing to them. So uh, if you're not in the same parish for a long time and you just think, well, I'll just rock, I'll just coast because why give them the tough love message? Because then they're going to hate me and they're going to make my life miserable. So you don't tell them the truth of the faith. You don't coach them on the on the road to heaven. You don't give them the tough love message. And consequently, their faith just wanes. So these bishops, by moving these priests around, destroy donations, they destroy vocations, and they destroy the faith of the people. If you wonder why 80% of Catholics don't go to Mass anymore, it's because of these pansy priests and these pansy bishops, right? So now what Rosansky's doing I think he's at least the fifth diocese in this country to do it. Is he bought into this paying a fortune of the people's money to this company, a company that's going to take all these churches, close them, take all the priests away from their parish family and stick it. Listen, I didn't become a parish priest so I could live like a Jesuit brother, uh, especially nowadays. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I became a priest so I could be a father. I can live out my paternity as a father to my parish family. And Rosansky is destroying it. God damns Rosansky's plans. Yeah, you know, <laughs> whenever whenever Rosansky started all this crap here yeah. after he came here, uh, we were all told that in order to have the new evangelization, in order to actually evangelize people, in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, we had to close parishes. How do you close parishes and then evangelize? And That's Rosansky, ridiculous. Rosansky is nothing but BS. He is <laughs> a monster and a miter, and and he is not to be trusted. That's why they hate me, by the way, because I just call him out. You're gonna yeah. close parishes. You're gonna you're gonna move these priests around. Like Hying in Madison said, he's gonna have something like down to 23 uh, homes where all the priests are in these 23 chunks. He's taken away them from being a pastor and he's making just 23 pastors now and everybody who used to be a pastor is no longer going to be a pastor except for these 23. He's destroying their paternity. He's destroying yes. their fatherhood. For better, for worse, for the talents God has given them, for the talents with which he has raised up in them, raised these priests, to be uh, ordained, to serve, to work in his vineyard. Hying, Rosansky, some of these other ones, losers that will be damned to hell for eternity. They are destroying the faith of the people and they are destroying the, the sacramental priesthood. They by, are the way, I, by the way, I want to tell you that Rosansky is going to hear every bit of this. I don't know if he listens to the show or if he has somebody else listen to it and report back to him. Yeah. But I can tell by things he says and does in this archdiocese that he's often responding to me. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations. You'll be as hated by him as I am. Yeah, I think I'm already <laughs> hated. I'm already hated by the vast majority. Listen, they know my name. They know my name over in Rome. Why? Why, listen, if, if I wasn't telling the truth, if I wasn't speaking, if everything I just didn't say to you wasn't true, nobody would listen. Nobody would believe. 
people just write me off. I get, listen, I get no, I get nothing but grief and aggravation and trouble for telling you the truth, right? This is, this is not like <laughs> I get any benefit out of this. Hopefully, eternal benefit because you know you 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 try to remain faithful, you try to speak the truth. Um, so, but but they know me. There are cardinals in Rome that hate me. I'm <laughs> thinking, well, they hated Jesus, as I said, because he spoke the truth and he called them out for the vipers that they were and are. So, uh, you know what? I When I look at myself in the mirror in the morning and say, listen, I'm a sinner like everybody else. And I don't say, don't follow me. Who am I? I'm just a lowly sinner. And I said many times, people got, get upset when I say it. I think I'm the greatest sinner in the room. And uh, so when um so but i don't say listen don't follow me because i'm me don't follow me like some cult figure no listen if there's truth spoken that resonates in your heart follow that truth because that follow that truth not, yes not for me it's not my truth uh but yeah that's true anyway, so rosanski's gonna hate me like jekyll's down in dubuque tried to tell all his <laughs> priests and all his people don't you go listen to father altman you're committing a sin Jacobs, you denied <laughs> 600,000 Catholics Holy Communion every single weekend over the pandemic fear-demic hoax, right? Yes. And 600,000. I do know this one thing. In that file I was telling you about, that Manola file? Yeah. File. So the canon lawyer did sign a secrecy agreement, so he would look at it, but he couldn't. they won't give you copies. How can you imagine? Even my canon lawyer not have a copy of the file that he is supposed to defend me with, right? And uh, so he did say, I did notice in that file when I was had a few hours or however little long time he had to, to go through it, to look at it, at least see kind of what's in there and then sort of try to report to me. He said there was a, a letter in there from some woman who claimed that I had denied her Holy Communion. Now, I've been a priest for almost 15 years at this point. And I don't remember a single person that I denied Holy Communion to standing, kneeling on the tongue or in the hand. Right. But so so this letter somehow ends up in the file, this this secret file that I'm not allowed to see. And and I say, you know, Bishop never called me up, never said, hey, Father Altman, this seems very out of character. I've never <laughs> gotten these complaints about you ever that you somehow would deny people Holy Communion. So something must have happened. Let's at least hear your side of the story. Because this is kind of a serious business. It's Watch. It's a serious business if you deny someone Holy Communion. Hence, that's why he put this letter in my file, which I was not allowed to see. I can't even cross-examine the woman. I can't cross-examine the document because I'm not allowed <laughs> to see it or know who she is, right? So, so okay, so let's say that is a serious deal. Serious enough to put in a file you send off to Rome. Well, then, then maybe it's a serious offense when you, Bishop Callahan, deny 200,000 Catholics here in La Crosse, Holy Communion every single weekend, not to mention all during the week, because that's exactly what he did. And Jekylls denied 600,000 Catholics Holy Communion. And Jekylls has the audacity to say, if you listen to Father Altman, you're a sinner. Oh, Jekylls, you're going <laughs> to in hell, right? I don't know how many Catholics there are down in, in St. Louis. Do you, what, what's the number down there? I really don't know. Uh it has decreased every year since I've been here, and I've been here about a decade. Yeah. Uh, sure it's yeah, and it's it's not pretty. I'm sure it's at least as big as uh, Dubuque. Probably. This is a huge place. So let's say, let's just say 600,000 Catholics. Rosansky denied 600,000 Catholics Holy Communion every weekend for how, how long did he, did he shut down the churches down there? 
I can't offhand remember, but I know that we haven't been able to attend mass for uh, a little over three years. And during that time, no priest could come here and give us communion or hear our confessions Yeah, during that whole period. So I can imagine what it was like for all the parishioners. Right. So, so you know what, Rosansky? You can go to hell by your own choosing. And you will. Because you are an unrepentant, false shepherd of the church. How dare you? Here's so so that people understand. Rosansky, put your listening ears on. Listen up, Rosansky. When the government so some a holy priest act, he was holy, a much holier than me. So he said to me once, we were discussing this around the family dining room table. He said, Well then, Father, because I hear you complaining that they shouldn't have closed the churches. Is there ever a time when the church, when the bishop should close the churches? And I said, well, that's a very easy question to answer. Very easy. The minute the government closes Walmart, because in our diocese, a thousand people can go into Walmart at a time. When they close the liquor stores, when they close Planned Parenthood, when they close, well, it's not so much in Wisconsin, but other places, pot stores. When they close all that, then I'll know the government is actually serious about a pandemic. Right. Until such time as they close Walmart, the liquor stores and Planned Parenthood, then don't tell me I have to close my church because you know what? There's a constitutional amendment and your authority, government, ends at my front door. Amen. You have no authority whatsoever to tell me to shut my front doors, period. Amen. That's my constitutional right. So so I could go into long dissertation about uh the law as it applies, uh, and the Constitution as it applies. And I'm kind of an expert in that because I've been doing it since 1990. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so, so there's, so no bishop had a right. No bishop had a right to lock the churches against you, the faithful, or deny you Holy Communion. So here, did you, Amen. Did you want to hear the reason why every bishop caved like, uh, there must be some kind of a, phrase in our lexicon about you know like uh uh lie like a rug they cave like something i don't know <laughs> um so here's why so you every diocese and i think this is true you can fact check me on this certainly i think most of them are if not every single diocese get their insurance from catholic mutual and why they close was because Catholic Mutual said, if you get sued because someone claims that they got COVID well at church, we're not going to insure you. Wow. All comes down to money and Catholic Mutual is, yeah, it's, it's behind this. <laughs> so how about you just go get insurance from some other place? Cause you know, Walmart, they had, they had coverage. Because they had a thousand yep. people in at a time. Planned Parenthood, they didn't worry about closing. So Catholic Mutual, now fact check me on this. And go ahead, fat Catholic Mutual. You try and say it isn't true. You go ahead and say that you didn't say, you know, that there's a problem here. And you didn't send out some internal memo saying, you know, you, you, we're not going to cover you if, if somebody gets COVID at your church. Every single bishop ran in fear. Because remember, I said, I've always said it's a fear demic, right? They ran in fear of 
losing uh, insurance coverage, health coverage, all anything that has to do with insurance. Catholic people don't understand this. Catholic Mutual controls the bishops and the churches in this country. That's what I would assert. Wow. Yeah. Father, this this interview has gone much longer than I intended. <laughs> okay, well, All right. So, so let, let me ask one last question. Okay. Uh, we're in Lent now. Yeah. What's the best spiritual advice you can offer to the six-pack warriors for this penitential season? Yeah. So I, I, I hopefully I've been consistent in this message. From the first day I was ordained, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen really talks about it in, in, in ways that lift your soul to heaven. Um, I use a sports analogy. If I'm playing for, let me think, what is that team down there at the, uh, St. Louis Cardinals? Uh huh. And, uh, I have to go out to batting practice, spring training, batting practice every day. Uh, before the game begins, sometimes some people stay after. You show up for practice every day so that you can then be paid millions and millions of dollars, even though you only get on base at best about 30% of the time. <laughs> so every one of us are part of the Catholic team or are supposed to be. And if we're good team mates, as we're supposed to be, we show up for practice. And we don't let the other team members down because we're lazy and don't show up for practice. We don't practice. How long do you stay on a team when you don't show up for practice? You either ride the bench, ride the pine, or else you get kicked off the team. Your contract is canceled. So if you're a Catholic, you're supposed to be part of the Catholic team, meaning you are supposed to show up for practice. That is why you show up on Sunday, not necessarily just because it's for your benefit, you selfish jerk. It's so that you can give your witness of faith to everybody else present. So that's practice as a team. So if you really want to be, for spiritual advice for this Lenten season, is do a sincere act of, uh, not contrition, but um, examination of conscience and say, and ask one question. And then try and find evidence. Have I been a good team member? What evidence do you have? Right? I've, I've heard it expressed this way. When you, when you stand before Jesus, what evidence are you going to be able to give him? When you open your palms or your hands and say, I'm giving back to you 20 because you gave me 10. I'm giving you 20. What evidence do you have that you were a good team member? What did you do for the good of the team? Not for yourself. It's not all about your selfish little self. What did you do for the team, right? So uh, part of what you do for the team is you show up for batting practice. It's just you out there standing at, you know, in, uh, at home plate taking swings, but you still have to show up for practice because every every the better you get at, at, at hitting, hitting it out of the park, the better you will be for the team. So uh, what that all comes down to is that everybody should be striving to achieve an hour a day dedicated to our Lord, dedicating to batting practice for God. And and that can be, amongst other things, a rosary. That might take 20 minutes. Uh, not while you're multitasking. 
I think it's good that people can pray the rosary while they're driving, but that's multitasking. How about you just sit quietly for 20 minutes in front of a crucifix, looking at Jesus and letting him look back at you. Spend 20 minutes a day doing that and keep your mouth shut, right? How about you, you know that joke about, well, God gave you two ears and only one mouth for a reason. Do some listening. Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's straight out of sacred scripture, right? Right. So, so spend some quiet time every day listening, which means you have to, you know, put the cell phone in the basement. Don't have it anywhere near. You know, take the phone off the hook. That's what you used to say in the old days. Remember that? Take the phone off. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and spend quiet time before the crucifix. Uh, spend another 20 minutes maybe reading sacred scripture or some good saintly book or something by some of my favorite writers like, uh, Gosh, uh, Bishop Sheen, anything by him. J.P. Yep. Uh, Benedict the Sixteenth. Do not read Jorge Bergoglio. His is garbage. Um, I like Cardinal a, Burke a lot. That guy has his finger on the pulse. He's a, he's a convert. Uh, Scott Hun, uh, Grant Brant Petre has the single best book on the Holy Eucharist I've ever heard. I've got I give I've given away dozens and dozens and dozens of copies. That's called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. These single, it's very easy to read. These single best book on the Holy Eucharist I've ever read in my entire life. So, so there you go. You got 20 minutes for a rosary, 20 minutes of quiet prayer where you just sit there and say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And then 20 minutes reading sacred scripture. How about during Lent? You start with the gospel of John or the gospel of Matthew, chapter, one chapter a day and, and read through the entire New Testament, New Testament in one chapter a day. I mean, that's, you can easily do that sometimes in five minutes. Sometimes the longer chapters might take 15, but just do one chapter of the New Testament a day. Read the gospel. You know, sometimes I sat down and read the gospel of John. I think it was, it took about almost three hours because you don't just read it. You look at the footnotes and you, you immerse yourself in it and you envision yourself in the moment that was taking place. But you can do a gospel in, you know, you've got, what's God said, keep holy the Lord's day. There are 24 hours in a day. I'll give you eight hours for sleep and I'll give you three hours for eating and using the restroom. That still leaves, you know, eight hours you can devote. How about devote three of them to reading a gospel the first four Sundays of Lent? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just sit and say, okay, this first Sunday of Lent, I'm going to read the gospel of Matthew. Or are you too busy to do that for the team? Don't do it for yourself. Do it for the team. Uh, There's a lot of things I won't do for myself, but if I have to do it for somebody else out of love, I will. So do it for the team that you're supposed to love. There's your And you know... Pardon me, Father. Six-pack warriors, most of you are just like every other Catholic in this country. You think you get enough scripture at Sunday Mass. You don't. And doing what Father is asking you to do, you'll find out that the Bible becomes very addictive. It's at first you're dreading opening up and starting to read. But after you've done it for a few days, you can't wait to pick up where you left off. There, It's it's better than a novel. <laughs> you know, that's exactly right. You know, that's the funny thing is, because once you start reading and you sort of get a sense of where this is all going, right? And you say, I don't want to stop right here. I'm going to read two chapters. Because it just one thing leads to another. And sometimes you can't, your heart burns within you. But that'll never happen. If you if you only get your you know seven seven minutes of sacred scripture on a Sunday 
and you won't be able to. By the way, that's like okay. Do you remember? You're old enough. Remember that it was a game show. It was called Concentration. Yes. And and those little squares that turn around, and you had to try and remember which ones matched where. And uh, when right. you only show up for mass on Sunday and get your seven minutes, all you're getting is one square in that whole concentration. Right. <laughs> New Testament, the Gospels alone probably have you know. A hundred squares, two hundred squares, three hundred squares, right? If you're only getting one square, you're never going to make sense of what that whole picture is, right? In concentration, you as a Catholic to be a good team member, you need to see the whole picture. In in which case, that means you have to sit down and read in a in a logical sequence and understand that the moment Jesus started his public ministry to the moment he ended, every single time he tried to do something nice, they plotted to kill him. You need to understand right. that, and you'll see that whole picture if you just sit down and read a gospel. So there's another. So, like I said, every Sunday because you're supposed to give it to the Lord anyway, right? Right. Read a gospel. And I've been telling I've been telling six pack warriors for a long time: read the gospels, yeah. then go back and read the first five books of the Old Testament. Yes. Then come back and read the gospels again you'll have a whole new understanding of and appreciation for the sacrifice of the mass. Yes. So, Father, I hate to end this. I could sit here with you all day and would love to. (laughs) But uh, I need to get this interview brought to an end. I want to thank you very much for having been here. And one question I do want to ask real quick. June is Gay Pride Month. Okay. June is also um, uh, the month of the Sacred Heart. A oh, Sacred Heart. There you go. Yeah. And so I got tired of that last year, and I started the first annual Toxic Male Month in June. <laughs> okay. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to uh, come back on for Toxic Male Month. Sure. Yeah. Well, that just describes you, doesn't it? Listen, God created toxic masculinity because you know what? It's not. Therefore, it is not toxic. Right. It is toxic femininity, which has destroyed this world, destroyed this country. Yes. That toxic femininity was a keystone, the foundation stone for the Russian era, Melissa Mother warned us about. So all the mainstream media, why why do they do this? By the way, here's, do you have time for this one quick comment? Yes. All right. Yes. Why does mainstream media keep harping on the toxic feminists claim of toxic masculinity? It's because they're all a bunch of pansies themselves. Yes. And so they can't stand real men. So you get a real man up there like Donald Trump, right? And they can't stand him because he's a man. <laughs> and and the same for priests. Why do these bishops hate men as priests? Why are they trying to feminize, make us effeminate, trying to emasculate us as fathers? It's because they're pansies and they can't stand us. So uh yeah, so I get I get what you're saying, and but and and you just need if the people need to understand the pansies in purple which is the vast majority of them, can't stand real men. The reason why there's a lack of vocation to the priesthood, apart from everything I've already said, is you don't want no son, no man, no boy wants to go be a follower of that pansy, right? Exactly. You don't have a man standing up there at the altar. That's not, that's not what you want to be, a pansy like that. 
Do you see? Do you see? That's that's what's happened, and they've right. driven out real men in favor of their toxic pansies. Well, I'll tell you, Father. I'll make sure since you since you've consented to be on, I'll make sure you get a toxic male month coffee cup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm there. And. Father, I'm sorry I have to end this yeah. so abruptly, but no, no. we've actually been at it about one and a quarter hours. So, and I, but listen, there's a snowstorm coming in, and I got to get back and forth to lacrosse before it hits. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Thank you my friend. God love you, Father, and we will see you again soon. Soon. All right. God bless. Bye bye. God bless. Thank you. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.